You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our reading this morning comes from Ruth chapter 1, the verses 6 through 22. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then I gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. The Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is no place like home. It's a well-known expression And I'm sure you've experienced that at some point in your life. There is no place like home. Probably the children here this morning know what that feels like. You ever had the feeling of being homesick? You got invited over to a friend's house for the weekend and Friday afternoon at school. That was the most exciting thing. You just couldn't wait to go. And you go and you have a weekend full of all sorts of fun and activities. But then, suppose you're going to be going home on Saturday night. By the time Saturday afternoon rolls around, you've had enough fun. You're sort of sick of how they do everything differently at this house than they do at your house. They eat different food. They have different traditions. You never know what's coming next. There's different siblings around. You can't find your own space. Even your best friend is kind of getting on your nerves. And you just can't wait 
to go home. Have you ever had that feeling? There's no place like home. Home is where we belong, and not just when we're children, but as we grow up as well. More and more, perhaps even, we feel that sense that home is where we belong. Home is is where we're safe. Home is where we're secure. Home is where we're provided for. Home sweet home. There's no place like home, especially when you've been away. Now, if it's like that for a child, they go to their best friend's house, imagine what that would be like for someone who goes away to a distant country. Imagine for a soldier who got called away to Afghanistan, spend three months there on tour. Totally different culture, totally different people around him, no security, never knowing what's going to come next, insecurity, war, bloodshed all around them. Imagine the feeling that they would feel at the end of that tour when they're just about to come home. As they imagine in their mind what that's going to be like to not have to worry about the enemy all around you. To not have to worry even about your own bunkmates around you and the different ways of doing things that they have where you can finally just go home and be at rest. The passage before us this morning in the book of Ruth is all about coming home. It's all about the grace of God in bringing his child Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth home. So that's our theme this morning. The loving and kind God brings Naomi home. We'll see there's some parallel structure in here. You might notice that in the five points that I have listed. The first one and the last one are about God, God's call and God's provision. The beginning and the end of this section sound very much the same. And then at invert the point two and point four speak about Naomi. At the beginning, Naomi speaks very logically, in some ways very beautifully, but quite wrongly, as we'll see. And that becomes expressed later on in the chapter as this bitterness in her heart become, comes pouring out. And then in the middle, in the, the important section, the highlight of this chapter, we have this beautiful confession from Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth. So the loving and kind God brings Naomi home. We read in verse 6, and that had our attention last week as well, that Naomi heard all the way in Moab that the Lord had returned to his people. They were experiencing famine. That famine was very likely a result of their own disobedience. It was discipline from the Lord. But now the Lord had returned to his people. We don't get all the background why that happened. Had they repented, we don't know. But the Lord returned. He returned in his favor and he returned with food for his people. And Naomi heard about this return all the way back in Moab. And she hears about it. The news is so striking, so powerful to her that she makes her own preparations to return to Israel. The Lord, in his grace, had come to Israel. And that, for Naomi, was a call to her also to return to him. When God expresses his grace, that is always a call to return to him. A call to return. In fact, this chapter is all about returning to the Lord. 
Now, this past week in the pre-confession class, we were looking at the Canons of Dort, chapter 3-4, the third part of the Canons of Dort that covers the topics of total depravity and irresistible grace. And there, in article 3 of chapter 3-4, we learned that man is unable, as it says there, to return to God in his own power. Man is unable in his depraved nature to reform himself. And we asked ourselves the question, why does the Canons of Dora use the language return there? It's talking about all mankind. It's talking about everyone. It says together we have plunged into this common misery and we fell into sin. And together we are unable to return to God. The question is, why does it use that language return to God? Well, it's because anytime we come to the Lord, it is a return. Because the Lord created us to be with him. The Lord created us to commune with him. He created Adam and Eve and he put him in a garden with himself. He walked with them. He communed with them. That's where we belong. But in the fall into sin, we have strayed. We have rebelled. We have left our God. And so when we worship him, when we come to him, anytime we come to him, we return to him. It's with him that we belong. That is our home. When we are with God, we are home. The words of the church father, Augustine, ring true. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so this chapter is all about coming home. There's a word, you don't notice it so much. In English, it's the word turn. In Hebrew, it's the word shuv. And it's it's all throughout this chapter. It shows up 12 times. This chapter is all about return. Shuv, shuv, shuv. It's a word that speaks not only of simply a return, if you went away from somewhere and you returned, but it's the word that's used in the Old Testament to speak about conversion. That process of repenting from your sins, being called by the Lord and coming to Him when your heart is renewed. It speaks about the work of conversion when God extends His grace to sinners and brings them back to Himself. To himself. And we know from the larger revelation of Scripture that this conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit and it's made possible by Jesus Christ. Even here in the Old Testament, it's made possible by Jesus Christ. All this whole story of conversion hinges on the reality of God sending His Son into the flesh to become our Redeemer. And so that truth, the truth of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit surrounds this entire narrative. God calls us, God calls this world home through the proclamation of the work of Jesus Christ. This is a story of conversion. And it was among the people of Israel. It was in her home province of Judah. It was, it's where God deals in mercy and compassion with his people, where he's made his people his own. That is home. For Naomi. And so Naomi, having heard about the restored fortunes of the people of Israel, prepares to return home to her, her, the, her homeland in Judah. And in a beautiful picture of faithfulness and support, her two daughters-in-law also come with her. And so they're all three joined together in this common misery of widowhood, having lost their husbands, all of them. That in ancient times was no picnic, being a widow. 
So they're all joined together in this common misery, and they all three join together to seek out a new future in Naomi's homeland. And so we see the Lord's call as he comes to his people in his grace. Now we see the Lord's logic. And there's still much uncertainty at the first few verses of our text about these three widows from the east as they travel westward to Bethlehem. But as readers, we are at least happy that they're returning to the land of Israel, to the promised land, to the place where God is once again feeding his people, the place where God has set his name and his glory upon his people. After all the sin and the suffering that you see in the first five chapters of this book, we are happy as readers where we rejoice when we see that they are returning home. This must be a good thing. Well, things appear to be on the right track until Naomi opens her mouth. Then things turn sour. Now, on the one hand, what Naomi says in verses 8 and 9 are quite beautiful. And they're quite nice sounding. Look at what she says there in, in verse 8 and 9. She pronounces this blessing on her daughters-in-law. May the Lord show kindness to you. She knows the Lord Yahweh. She doesn't call in the name of Chemosh, the god of the Moabites. No, she calls in the name of Yahweh. And she knows the Lord can show kindness. She says, may he show kindness to you as you have shown kindness to the dead and to me. You've been kind, she says to them. And so may the Lord repay you for the kindness that you've shown. And then she goes on in the second blessing. May the Lord again, Yahweh, may he grant that each of you find rest in the home of another husband. Naomi knows about living away from home. She knows that lack of rest. And so she she asks, may the Lord help you to find rest in the home of another husband. Beautiful words in a certain way, but yet they're all wrong. They're all wrong. Notice what she says in verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Here Naomi is leaving the land of Moab, coming to God's promised land. And she says to her two daughters-in-law, why don't you go back where you came from? Go back to your mother's home. Don't come to the homeland of God. Go back to the homeland of Chemosh and may you go with Yahweh's blessing. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's like saying... Well, I'm glad that you're thinking of converting to Christianity, but you really shouldn't do that. It's just not going to work out for you very well. Go back to your own gods, and I hope that the Christian God is going to bless you there. It doesn't make any sense. It's all wrong. And her daughters-in-law, at first they, they protest. But Naomi is not done. She's not going to leave it at that. So she's pronounced this nice blessing But now she turns to cold, hard logic. You must leave, she tells them, because you have no future with me. You have no future with me in two ways. In the first way, you have no future with me because you're not going to find a husband from me. What she's leaning on there is the teaching, the, uh, the law of leveret marriage, that if someone's husband died, then they would marry the brother of their husband. So she's saying, I've only had two sons, and I'm not going to have another son anytime soon. 
He says to them, you're widows. You need a husband. May you find rest in the home of another husband. You're not going to find a husband with me because I don't have a husband myself. And even if I did find a husband today and had a baby, what would you do then? You're way too old. You're not going to wait around for this baby to grow up and then marry him. It's a ridiculous idea that you would come with me. There's no future with me because there's no husband with me. There's no home for you with me. The second reason she brings is the clincher. It's the closer. This is the shot rock. The Lord's hand, she says, has gone out against me. Not only are you not going to find a home and a husband with me, but you're not going to like things in my home. Don't come home with me, Naomi is saying, because the treatment that I get in my home is not very good. I'm the child who receives all the discipline. I belong there. It's my home. He's my God. I'm his child. But discipline and hardship are all I can expect from him. The hand of my father has gone out against me, and there's nothing that I can do about it. That's my life. That's my home. Don't come home with me. You're going to join with me in my own misery. My home is no place of rest. Leave, she says to them, while you still have a chance. You felt enough misery living in my home. Now is your chance to get out while the getting is good. It's cold, hard logic. There's no argument against her. What would her daughters-in-law say? They've experienced this for themselves. She has a point. She has a terribly straightforward and convincing point. And so... Orpah hugs her mother-in-law, kisses her, and says goodbye. And she leaves. She accepts this logic of Naomi, and she goes. The narrator casts no judgment on Orpah. She goes to return to Moab. But Ruth, however, does not. And that leads us to consider Ruth's confession. The righteous, we read throughout Scripture, live by faith not by cold, hard logic. There are times when the logic seems to be watertight. The argument's made and you have no argument against it. And yet the solution is not to give in and say, yeah, you're right. You know, you're right. I don't have any argument. The answer is to say, I'm not going anywhere. I hear your argument. I can understand it. I don't have any argument against it. But you know what? I'm not leaving. That's what Ruth presents in this case. That's what Ruth says. She says to Naomi, don't urge me to go back to Moab to turn back from you. I gave you my word, verse 10. I'm not going to leave you. I gave you my word and I'm not going to break my word. She's turned once, Ruth has, when she left the land of Moab heading for the land of Israel. She's not about to turn again. Where I go, where you go, she says, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Ruth is going to be faithful to her word to the end. She shows a tremendous level of devotion to Naomi here. She has a tremendous amount of integrity. In Psalm 15, David says that the man of integrity keeps his word even when it hurts. Naomi says, it's going to hurt if you come with me. Naomi sa- uh, Ruth says, I don't care. I gave you my word. I'm sticking to my word. I'm coming with you. I'm not going anywhere. 
I'm not leaving you alone. In this respect, brothers and sisters, you see Ruth displaying already the character of her God. She reflects the faithfulness of God when she says to Naomi, I'm not going anywhere. She says to Naomi, I'm going to abide with you no matter what happens. And is that abiding with someone not precisely the grace that our Lord Jesus Christ showed to us? Isn't that the answer that he gave to Job? Job lashed out against him, said, Lord, why are you doing all these things to me? Did the Lord answer him? Did he give him a logical argument? Well, Job, this is the reason I'm doing all these things to you. No. He said, Job, I'm God and I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. The Lord says to us in so many ways through his word in our lives, I am with you. The expression of his grace and his faithfulness. And isn't that characteristic also of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? I am with you. Think of the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. So strong was the faithfulness of God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be with us, to become one of us. He tells us in Jesus Christ, his son, I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. You know what the last words of the Bible are? Last words of Holy Scripture that we're left with. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. This is the character of our loving and kind God. That he abides with us. That he stays with us. We reflect that character when we abide. When we are faithful to others. When they're going through suffering and hurt. Ruth reflects this character when she stubbornly refuses to listen to Naomi's logic. And so they're beautiful words that reflect the character of the Lord, but these words of hers become more beautiful even as she goes along. As she pledges her allegiance not only to Naomi, but she pledges her allegiance to God's people and even to God himself. She says to her, your people will be my people and your God, my God. Do you recognize that language that Ruth uses there? That's the language of the covenant. That's the language that God first speaks to his people when he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Ruth knows that language. It resonates with her. And she says, I want that. That's what I'm returning from Moab for so that your people will be my people and your God, my God, so that God will say to me, you are one of my people. And so that he'll say to me, I am your God. Leviticus 26, verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. Ruth knows what she's doing as she leaves Moab and heads to Israel. She's giving up her identity as a Moabite. I've left that behind. No longer is Moab my home. I know of a better home now. I know of a better identity. I want to be included among the people of God. I'm not home in Naomi, in Moab, Naomi, Ruth says. I'm home in Israel. I'm at home with your God. That's where I belong. 
And then she returns to her loyalty to Naomi. She says she's going to be loyal to Naomi even after she dies. Where Naomi dies, that's where Ruth will die. She's not coming to Israel to sojourn there. This is the promised land. God's going to stay there. People of God are going to stay there. Ruth says, I'm going to stay there. You die there. I'm going to die there as well. I'm putting down my roots among God's people. I'm going to commit myself to God's service for the rest of my days. This confession of Ruth is stunning and beautiful. And it's even more stunning and beautiful when you consider the background of this woman's introduction to God. How does she know about this God of Israel? She knows it from Elimelech and from Naomi and from Malon and Kilion. She knows it from this family that left the people of Israel to live in Moab. She knows it from her mother-in-law who now cannot see the grace of God at work in her life. She didn't live in the house of the greatest evangelist in the world. And yet, what makes this confession so beautiful is that Ruth believes. How is that possible? How can Ruth believe? How can she speak these beautiful words even though she lived in Moab, even though she dwelt among the household of Elimelech? Brothers and sisters, it's because conversion is not the work of Elimelech or Naomi or Malon or Kilion. Because the work of conversion is the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who went to work on Ruth's heart. And it's the Holy Spirit working in her that bubbles out of her in this confession of faithfulness and devotion to God. You can grow up in the household of the greatest evangelist in the world and you can reject God. And you can grow up in the household of the worst evangelist in the world and you can speak beautiful words of confession. Because the work of conversion is God's work. It's always God's work. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes us alive. And we need to remember that. We need to see that in this confession of Ruth. And we need to remember that in our lives as well. God calls us to teach our children. To train them in the fear of his name. To do all the right things for our children. But we need to realize that the work of conversion is always the work of God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We can do nothing on our own. We trust in the Lord's providence. We answer the Lord's call to teach our children about Him. The work of conversion is the work of God alone. doesn't matter if you were born in the church. doesn't matter if you were born in the furthest land where the gospel of Jesus Christ has never been heard. When you return home to God, it is God at work in you. Ruth expresses that in these beautiful words in this chapter. Now we turn back to Naomi's words. Many people have been struck by this powerful testimony that Ruth gives. It's a beautiful testimony, and it's said with such conviction and care that it's hard not to be affected by them. But yet, Ruth, uh, Naomi, is not affected. Simply says there in verse 18, when Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, She stopped urging her. Well, that's a pretty strong confession there, Ruth. Looks like I'm not going to change your mind. And so she resigns herself and heads back to Israel with her. Seems like she just doesn't have the emotional energy to continue urging Ruth. And so she gives up. 
And they keep heading to Bethlehem and they return there. And then when they return to Bethlehem, the whole town, it says, is stirred. Naomi was gone, they know, and now she has returned. And they ask, can this be Naomi? I think it's the same way. They ask that question in the same way that you would ask that question when you see a family member who has not come to the Christmas party for many years come to the family Christmas party. It's not that you don't recognize them. It's that you weren't expecting them. So you thought that they had left and that they would never show up in a place like this again. But then, all of a sudden, there they are. And so there's this stirring, there's this flurry of activity when someone dear to you has returned home unexpected. But the circumstances under which Naomi has returned, according, according to her, are no reason for cheering. She left the land of Israel in hope of something better in Moab. She's come back in disappointment. She left with three men in her life. She's come back with none. She left with plans for the future. She's returned with only broken dreams from the past. Naomi is a shattered woman. It seems like her whole life now is characterized by hurt and sorrow. It seems like this is her new reality. If you add up all the events that have afflicted her in her life, there is only one inevitable conclusion for her, right? And so she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. That jars with my existence. That jars with my reality. It doesn't fit. Call me Mara. That fits. Because my life is very bitter. And who has done this to her? It is God. The Lord Almighty, she says, has made my life very bitter. I went away full, she says, but the Lord brought me back empty. The Lord, she says, has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Hear the logic in those words. All of these things have happened to me, Naomi says. And God is powerful. God's in control. And so it's he who has done all of these things to me. God has done all these things to me. Right? What would you say to Naomi? What would you say to Naomi when she says these words? No, God hasn't done those things to you, Naomi. Really? Are you going to trade in the sovereign God for some Lord with weak and limited power who's not in control of all things? Doesn't operate all things according to his plan? Oh, it's not that bad, Naomi. Really? Not that bad? She lost her husband and her two sons. She's a widow. It could be a lot worse, Naomi. Yes, you're right. It could be a lot worse. Thanks for that comfort. In fact, we don't know that anyone said anything to Naomi at this point. What could they say? What can we say? And these words come from her lips. And so we come finally to God's provision. As we hear those words ringing in our ears, those words of Naomi, let's take stock of where we are in this book. 
We know of the Lord, the Lord who has come to his people with food. We know that God is good. We know that God is loving. He is who he is and he does not change. We know that God in his grace was with Naomi in that foreign land and that he has called her to return back to Israel. We know that God is at work very close to Naomi. He is powerfully at work in her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And we know that Naomi has not rejected her covenant God. She knows him. She calls upon his name. She is in a great a place of great confusion. She's experiencing what's called the disorientation of grief. She is disoriented. She doesn't know her up from her down. She can't keep things straight in her mind. She feels lost. She does not know where home is. In verse 22, we have this summary of the chapter. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem just as the barley harvest was beginning. Now we have begun to see God working graciously in Naomi's life. She doesn't see it, but we can. We saw it when he returned to his people with food, and now the barley harvest is beginning. Naomi and her family had gone out weeping from the land of Israel because there was no prospect of a harvest. They had left the land of Israel because there was no harvest, and now they return just as that harvest is beginning. And so we ask, what will happen now? We know God is loving. We know God is gracious. How will God answer that cry, that lament of Naomi? The harvest is a time of joy, a time of bringing in what God has provided. How is the God of grace going to lavish his grace upon her? How is he going to ease that pain that is ripping her apart inside? The rest of the book is going to show this. But for now, there is at least this reality expressed in the last few verses of this chapter. Naomi is back in the promised land. God is with her. God has brought her home. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.